So um, uh, good evening, everybody. And it is evening because it is 10 o'clock in the evening in England, five o'clock in the evening where Barry is over in America. And we thought we'd have a quick catch up, really, to, to, to go through uh, Barry's life at Southport FC. He's, he's a man that held many roles uh, and we'll go through each of them in turn, I'm sure. Um, he's just got back to America because he's been over for the friendly against Huddersfield only a few weeks ago. So he's even seen us recently. Uh, so, Barry, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you, Dan. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad to. I'm glad you got. You know, we, we're in touch, and uh, I, I've always been a Southport uh, person, as you know. You know, so um, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to the interview. Yeah. Good. Good. Right. Well, let's let's focus on you first of all. So you as a man. So born right. born where? When? Cheltenham, Gloucestershire. Cheltenham, Gloucestershire. Uh, obviously, that influences your accents. You've always you've you've always yeah. had a, a sort of I, I what do you call it? A West it, Country yeah. accent. Um, Football background then, where, where did you start your involvement in football? Uh, I left school at 15. I started a plumbing apprenticeship uh, in Cheltenham and then uh, I went for youth process for Rovers and then I had a, an apprenticeship at uh, Bristol City. Um, got quite a bad injury when I was uh, about 19 going on 20 which actually uh, finished my playing career at that time, uh, which is a bit disappointing, you know, to say the least. Did you start, I know, obviously we'll go into your coaching background at, at some point during this chat, I'm sure. Did you start coaching very early? Did you switch straight to coaching from there? Did you, how did you no, stay involved no, I, in football? I played local football. I had a, a few games for Cheltenham Town, would you believe? Um, of all clubs. Um, uh, with a, an old mate of mine, Ron Radford. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I've, in fact, I've, I've just got off the phone with him, Dan. Um, he, he he lives in uh, back in Yorkshire now. So Ronnie and I have been good mates. Uh, and we actually worked together at one stage in Cheltenham together. He's a, he's a partner and of course I was in the building game. So um, we, we worked together. Then uh, basically um, I left Bristol City with an insurance payout. Uh, where I bought my first car. Uh, and then um, I didn't start coaching till I actually went up north, you know. I played locally in Cheltenham, as I say, and then uh, after a while we, we left Cheltenham and came to uh, Darwin, would you believe, in uh, near Blackburn. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we moved to Southport and we had the news agents on Hart Street and a lot of people remember my wife Sue and me in that music there, you know. And oh, when was that? That was late seventies. That was late seventies, yes, yeah, 78, uh, almost when Southport came out to the. In actual fact, my first game was uh, Southport against Stockport County uh, in the league, and my old mate uh, who I uh, I was a mate with in Cheltenham, Mike Summerby, who's the ex-Man City player. Yeah, um, we grew up together. Would you believe uh, he he went to Swindon Town, I went to Bristol City. So, um, but we've remained um, we've made mates ever since. You know. So you moved to Southport late seventies then seventy eight was it? Do you yeah. say? Um, how how soon until you actually stepped foot inside Hague Avenue? Well, uh, it was Charlie Powell actually. Bless him. Um, he came round to the news agents uh, trying to. Uh, entice us to sell the Southport Football Club lottery tickets. Okay. Uh, so, and then we got chatting and he said that um, 
now they're out the league, they're looking for um, a reserve team manager. Um, there I said, well, I don't mind coming down and helping, uh, which I did. Uh, I, I came down, uh, Charlie's invite, uh, with John Johnson and Len Trainer, which were almost the first guys after the league, I think, um, to take. Um, and, and I helped a, a, a guy called Mike Ryman uh, to run the reserves. In fact, I got some good photographs of, of that time. And you must uh, share them with us. Pardon? You share them with us. It'd be good to see them. Yeah, I will. I, I haven't got them with me at the moment, Dan, but I will. I, I will get them out and uh, get them to you. You know, uh, they, they, they were some good good players. Um, believe it or not, um, as I got more into it into the early eighties, of course, then I got Sean Teal. Uh, he he finished. Um, I think it was Everton or Liverpool. Uh, Andy Much. Um, Tommy Rockwell, uh, you know, there, there's a quite a all local lads. I, I, I'm determined to bring in all local players. I used to go every Sunday, watch local soccer. Uh, Kevin McCormack, um, no oh, names we're all familiar with, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a big step, though, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've done a bit of coaching with our under 21s when, when we had a 21 side, so there's a big yeah. bit of a difference between that and then becoming part of the board so that you were reserve manager in uh, like I say the late 80s uh, late nine, uh, late 70s early 80s yeah um, early 80s, how did yeah. the how did the 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 change come about in in eight, in 1982 for you to become part of the board how did that happen well um we we were on our backsides at Southport there was no money whatsoever um uh, we had a meeting uh, and Jack Carr attended, and quite a few of the present supporters here now. Um, we went out to the hotel on uh, on um, the front in Southport. We all met there. We were asking for people to join the board. Uh, didn't have too much luck with that. Um, and Gary Coleshaw um, came in with me. Uh, I think it was the um, can't remember the the builders from Chorley. They were running it then. The Hall brothers. The uh, Hall brothers, and they were looking to get rid. I think um, they, in fact, I think their company went into liquidation. Uh, so they were they were out of money, uh, and I had a certain amount of money that I was prepared to put in with Gary Coleshaw, which we did. Um, but really, times were so hard, and. Uh, we, we clawed in a couple of more directors of, of uh, friends of Gary Coleshaw. Um, and we, we actually traded like that for, for a, 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 probably a year or so. Um, and I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that at times we had to pay the players wages out on a Thursday out of the one arm bandit in the, uh, in the, this is something a lot of people didn't know. And uh, the players will tell you that time we played them all in ten p's and fifty, whatever it was, you know. So it was a it was a very very difficult time. Uh, and um, when do when people criticise the board and all that, um, they criticise people who are trying to make it right, you know. And it's not easy. I promise you, Dan. Not easy. Do you do you regret uh, ever stepping forward? I did one time. I did. Uh, I did regret it. Uh, my my wife regretted it. 
um, because it was money that we possibly needed to plow back into our businesses, etc. You know, I had a building business and a news agency at the same time. Um, and then uh, basically um, we were putting out feelers for new directors. And we had a home game on uh, the Saturday. I don't know who it was against. And I, we put a, a flyer out all around the ground. And that's when uh, Charlie Clapham picked it up. And then he came to see me in the bar on, uh, on the Sunday to say that he would be interested. And, um, and that's when he was prepared to take the reins or help to take the reins, I'd say, uh, with money, etc., which was so so needed you know so he came in at first as a, a, a more of a commercial director didn't he rather than he certainly wasn't chairman straight away he, he no, came no, in we, to help no, with we, raising money yeah that was he he, he had a, a lot of business partners that were prepared to put a, a board up at the ground uh, he worked very hard Charlie, to try to raise the cash on, on the commercial side um and um that that was a, a great help um because he, he had a lot of top businesses, you know, uh, from his company in Liverpool. Um, and I, it just snowballed from there. And then eventually, I don't think uh, Gary Goldshaw and Charlie were getting on too well. Uh, and Charlie didn't agree with some of the stuff that Gary did, and vice versa. And um, believe it or not, um, I know a few people believe that uh, Gary, um, we ousted Gary, which was not true. Gary actually, um, he resigned at the annual general meeting of the, uh, the um, Northern Premier League then that was at the Prince of Wales Hotel. And uh, Gary came up to me, put the keys on the table and said, it's yours. And... Uh, and from then on, uh, I was left with the job as a, as a vice chairman to to uh, to try and help uh, and uh, you know to go ahead and try and do something about it. You know well, what was your then, what was your relationship like with Gary at the time? Was it was it strained? I mean, obviously, you mentioned that his relationship it, with Charlie had become strained. Was it was was the same with yourself? No, mine was very good with uh, Gary. Very good. We we got on his his uh, wife. And my wife and, and as I, uh, we used to go around his house uh, quite a bit, um, but he was showing more. He was showing a little bit of interest in um, porridge at that time as well. Um, of course, he's, he's he's been there subsequently, hasn't he? He's had involvement he with them yeah. later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was um, he got uh, uh, entangled there. I think he felt that he wanted to step down as chairman. It was a big responsibility being chairman, anyway, you know. And then. Uh, Basically, uh, I I decided to make Charlie chairman as as he was he was bringing the money in. I couldn't afford to put any more money in. Uh, there was no no other. Uh, he even um, one of his directors of his his company. He actually uh, forced, if you like, <laughs> to come on the board to help out with money. Um, he he lived on the other side of the country, so he, that Mr. Dennison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and um, that that uh, every every year, I think he got money out of him to to support the the club. Um, but Charlie 
to be fair, he, he also had a lot of uh, unfair criticism, I think. Um, he, 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 he took it slowly, but he definitely wanted to get the club into the league. And his words to me was, when we get into the Football League, I will resign. And that was his promise. And I said, why, why that? He said, because I've done what I set out to do. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen. But um, so, you do, you, do you think that um, that you kind of? I mean, Charlie's got had a a reputation among supporters of being quite brash at times, um, and I think it's probably fair to say that not everybody talked to him in the way that perhaps you have. Correct. Do you think that um, your relationship with supporters? Um, changed as a result of you being closely tied with Charlie or do you think that you've you've maintained the same relationship that you've always had well that's hard to say because people don't always show face to face um their likes likes or dislikes but mostly i felt that um you know because uh, i know like uh, Mick Collison and all those sort of guys I knew from when uh, when we first started, and I think they were appreciating what we were trying to do, you know. Um, but probably the some of the the later ones, uh, perhaps they thought I was I was uh, Charlie's sidekick and I wouldn't do anything uh, against Charlie. But that was quite untrue, really, because uh, I I used to have a saying with Charlie: it's easier to to uh, it's easier to to say sorry than get permission. I think you've told so me that once before as well. <laughs> so I used to do a lot of things and have and be prepared to get a good moan at because of the money side of it. Um, but I got it done. Um, and um, there, there was a lot of work on the ground I did, which was totally uh, not 100% with Charlie, but it, I got it done. That was the main thing, you know. So, so obviously, back in back in the early eighties, money was really was really really tight. Now, it's a matter of public record how many how many shares people had and what have you. So, uh, the nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty four uh, finance records show that you had sixteen thousand shares at that point in time. So, obviously, you'd put right. a chunk of money in when you became a director. Others had put uh -huh. similar sums in. Um, when it came to nineteen eighty five, though. Um, your shareholding changed slightly. Did you sell some shares to Charlie when he no. became chairman? How? What, no. what happened? I really don't know. Uh, it was a mystery, really, because um, though you tell me we had 16,000, I couldn't believe it because I thought I'd only had 10,000. Yeah, I was going to say it changed to 9,500 yeah. from 1985. Yeah. And it yeah. looks... It looks it looks interesting. So let's put it that way. This, yeah. Some of your yeah. shares appear to have gone elsewhere. Uh, well... I, I think they might well have been, um, when we got other people involved um, with it, I think they were like, like Sam, you know. Um, uh, I, I don't really know where they went. and I wasn't really bothered. All I wanted was for people to come in and support the club and, and obviously financially support it as well, you know. Yeah. It was a difficult time. Um, and uh, like all football clubs, as Charlie quite rightly saying, you don't come in this club to make money. No, absolutely not. So how, so how did we make money back in back in the day? Because obviously gates weren't very high. There were a few hundred at the most. That's right. Well, basically, we did a lot of sportsmen's dinners, uh, which went down well. And you've probably been to a few of them yeah, yeah. yourself, Dan. Uh, we did make money out of that. Um, and, and in actual fact, I think we were getting something like three or four a year, um, which helped support 
but the money was coming out of Charlie and Sam's pocket in the end. I don't know how much, but uh, one promise both of them made was this club will never go under. Yeah, and of course it, it didn't. I mean, that the money that they put in wasn't converted into shares, so I guess we'll never know the true value of, no. of, of what went in. And and I guess how much Charlie was able to do through Palace that, that wasn't run through the club, we, we just, we'll just never know. Um, yeah. What I'm interested to know, though, really, Barry, is, is what sort of changes were there to the football club at that time? What, what was it that happened? I mean, what was the difference between when you first started in those first few years? How, how did the club change? I'm not sure uh, I can tell you that, Dan, because the club, it was over a slow period where the money was obviously going in from Charlie and when Sam joined, etc. Uh, and, and they were supporting the wages. And Charlie, um, from Palace Chemicals' point of view, was making sure all the, the ground and everything like that with uh, all the materials for the ground. And we did a lot of work uh, on that ground that, that basically came from Palace Chemicals. Uh, as I say, I'm not sure Charlie would thank me for saying this, you know, but without Palace Chemicals, we, there was a lot of stuff would not get done. I mean, Charlie uh, organized the Jack Carr stand. Um, uh, a lot of that uh, he got grants for, but uh, a lot of it, again, was supported by um, Ch- Charlie, you know? Yeah, I mean, Charlie's gone on record and said that the ground was his legacy. The changes that were made for us to get promoted into the into the conference was that's his legacy. Uh, right. But in terms of what I'm trying to what I'm trying to establish really is in terms of the day to day operational structure of the club, was it did it become more professional? Was it still run on the basis of a group of individuals collectively out of someone's uh, front room, or, or how how was it? How does it really? How did it function? Uh, yeah, we used to have board meetings at my house. Um, <laughs> and they were good fun, actually, even though some big decisions had to be made, you know, on players, etc. Um, the hardest thing was getting rid of managers and bringing new managers in. Uh, uh, Liam, believe it or not, was um, one of the successes we felt at the time uh, we, we weren't having a lot of luck um, with, with quite a few managers up to uh, the um, late 80s, ni- early 90s. Uh, and Brian Kettle came in, didn't he, etc. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, w- what happened is uh, in 87, I actually was still on the board, but I left to come to the States. I'd pa- By the way, up to then, I'd passed my prelim coaching test coaching badge yeah uh, and um uh i went and got my a badge as well at that time uh, a bit long with john john bradshaw do you remember john do yeah uh, john came with me to do an actual fact my partner at the thing was phil thompson uh, and the funny thing about that little story of phil thompson is is when we had to do the laws of the game he was the last one in the classroom <laughs> He didn't know the laws of the game, Phil, and it was a big joke afterwards. But um, uh, we 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 were friends afterwards. Um, not 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 now, but we were then. Uh, and, then and then he, I think, he went on to manage Bolton Wanderers almost when he got his uh, prelim badge. You know. So 
back right back at the start then. So you were still reserve manager when when the board transition happened when you you became vice chairman to Gary Culshaw, subsequently yeah. vice chairman to Charlie. But you were yeah. still reserve manager all that time, weren't you? Yes. Now, now the manager at the last managerial appointment that Gary Culshaw made, I think, was Bob, wasn't it? Bob Murphy. Bob Murphy. So I think he was no, no, still in place. I think Charlie made Bob Murphy, didn't he? I'm not sure. It was, it was certainly around the time that Charlie started. Now, I, the impression I had was that he wasn't Charlie's man, um, but that he was. He spent the vast majority of his time under uh, as as manager under Charlie. Now, I think the reason for that is I'm pretty sure I've seen programme articles. In fact, yes, I have from from November and the December of the year of that year, where Gary had actually been the person to announce Bob's appointment in the programme. Now, right. I think when Gary left. It was pretty much, a, you know, he he completely left, if you know what I mean. He wasn't still writing notes in the programme. It was Charlie very much took over that aspect when he became chairman. But I think Bob is a manager that Charlie has described as being the most difficult person he's ever worked with. Yeah, I know you work with him really closely. I was, I was, I was his assistant manager, believe it or not. He had Brian, uh, who used to drive him around because Bob couldn't drive. Uh, Bob used to come to practice training on the train. Uh, or I, or Brian brought him, and I took him, uh, Bob, all over the place. To be fair, um, and I was very close to Bob, and I learned so much off Bob Murphy. It wasn't true. He was very, very friendly with uh, Alex uh, Ferguson, and he used to talk with Alex a lot. Uh, and go. I think he had the same mannerisms, didn't he, in terms of the hair dry treatments and all that sort of stuff. Bob was. I remember coming back from somewhere like Matlock uh, in the middle of winter and he we lost and Bob was so annoyed with the players. He made the uh, coach driver turn the heating off on the, the bus and we travelled all the way back and uh, Charlie's words were, well, we've done nothing wrong. Why have we got to suffer, you know? But Bob just said, you know, it was a, Bob was a... He was so different as, as far as manager's concerned. He was a hairdryer uh, a treatment guy. Uh, he knew his stuff, though, didn't he? He was, a, he was one of those people with an encyclopedic mind, wasn't he? He knew everything about everybody. Dan, I once went to his house, I think in Charlton or somewhere like that in Manchester, and he invited me and we were going somewhere. I was picking him up and he went into his front room and he had shelves and shelves of books, uh, non-league players, films, everything on non-league. And he was so knowledgeable about non-league, it wasn't true. And that's why he was so uh, successful at mostly. Yeah, know? I mean, he was a big appointment, wasn't he? When he was made, he was, it was a big appointment. He yeah. was very successful. Everybody, everybody at that time, Dan, there was a lot of clubs wanting Bob Murphy at that time. Yeah, know? when you look at his record, it's easy to see why. What? Why do you think that the his relationship with Charlie was so strained then? Because you clearly got on well with him. I mean, and that, that must push, put you in a difficult position for a start, being vice chairman and assistant manager at the same time. Well, I think, quite honestly, I think Charlie and Bob did not talk that often. Uh, unless Bob wanted to sign somebody. Um, and I remember at the time that Bob relied on me for getting players. And... Uh, most of the players at that time were from Southport. They were sort of Southport players. Southport and District League players and what have you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we we were up to a point pretty successful with that squad of players. Um, 
But um, I think occasionally if Bob wanted, um, I think Joe Strong, I think, you remember Joe Strong? I think he wanted Joe and we, we had to push out the boat for some extra money and all that business. And I think that was Charlie, you know, making sure that happened. Um, I'm Joe, assuming fees were never talked about back then. We were, we were still struggling very much so as a club, weren't we? Oh, yeah. We're very rarely that we, we talked about paying for anybody. Uh, trying to sell somebody like Andy Much. Uh, for 10 grand to Wolves um, and um, Was selling players yeah. a necessity back then? I mean I think Liam will agree that these days it pretty much is for Southport that he's got a reputation of getting players into the league and actually we pretty much need to we all know that every now and again we need to find a gem was that the case back in the 80s that in order to survive we had to sell someone every now and again? Pretty much yeah um, I mean much he was obviously um, Sean Teal uh with Brian Griffiths, um, he fell out with Brian Griffiths big time. Um, so he, he was always going to go um, pretty much free. Um, but um, there were players like, uh, I remember taking Kevin McCormack to uh, Man City um, for a trial. And Tony Book was manager. And uh, Tony, uh, after the, uh, a, a reserve game at uh, Main Road, uh, he did very well, Macker. Um, but the funny thing about it was he he had no had had no coaching whatsoever, you know, Macker at all. And it was obvious during the game, uh, diagonal runs and stuff like that. He was not sure of, but he went and got a goal from nothing uh, because he was so strong and uh, he knew where the net was. But uh, afterwards, I. Uh, my wife and I, we were in Tony Book's office to know what we was going to do about him. And uh, Tony said, I'm afraid he's not going to make it uh, at this level. Um, but he said, I'm going to recommend him to Berry Football Club, who at that time had a, a little bit of money. And um, I'm not sure whether we actually put Kevin, I think we put Kevin on contract prior to the Man City trial. Just in case, know? just to make sure just we got something. Case, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I guess it was a rarity back then to put players on contract. They were all mostly non-contract all players. Non-contract, all non-contract, yeah. I presume yeah. some of them were still playing Sunday football. I know the Liverpool leagues back then were, were huge, weren't they? Well, I ran the crown uh, on Sunday. And uh, a few of the players uh, that played played uh, for Southport played for me on the for the crown. Um, so I couldn't have done that if they were contract, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, um, but it wasn't really frowned upon back then either, was it? It was just it was just what nobody, people did. Yeah, nobody fri- nobody was trying to do that. I mean, we we had a player. Uh, can't even remember who it was now. I, I'm not sure if it wasn't Quinny. Um, he didn't turn up on the Saturday, and then he was found playing Sunday football in Google. So uh, um, um, we had a, somebody took a picture of him playing football. So. Those are the sort of things he got his wrist slapped with us, obviously. Um, and I, I, I think he might even have got fined, but uh, that's about it, you know. Okay. Uh, so, with you having the dual role for quite a long time, then with it as assistant and vice chairman, are there any examples of where that caused problems, particularly for you? The only time it caused a problem, uh, because I was in the dressing room with Bob pretty much every single game. Um, uh, and a quick little story. Um, 
which stood out. We were playing, our reserves were playing Man City um, A team, I think, uh, out there training ground in Manchester. And I had three players playing that Bob wanted at Gould for the afternoon game. Um, so I, three, as soon as I finished that game, um, I dashed over to Gould with the three players uh, and uh, got done for speeding, which didn't go down well. And Bob absolutely floored me for being late. And I said, well, I've just got stopped for speeding. I said, I would have been here earlier if I hadn't got caught. But he absolutely trashed me, you know, in front of the players, um, which I also remember. And afterwards, he just laughed and shook my hand. And he, it was a, a sort of a, a stance he tries to make to make sure how, how hard he was. And a bit so like. Did he look at you? Purely as an assistant then, or do you think it, because it didn't sound like he was intimidated by the fact that you were vice chairman? None whatsoever. No, because I think we always made a little pact that what stayed in that room stayed in that room with Bob. So anything that um, I, I did not make, Charlie never asked me and I never told him, basically. And that was the way we got on well. Obviously, the time that it fell apart was at Morecambe um, when... We lost, and Bob's language uh, in the boardroom afterwards, to say the least, was was choice. Uh, a bit embarrassing, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the time uh, Charlie sacked him. That that moment. Was there ever a time where uh, Charlie considered putting you in charge, even temporarily? Well, we did. Me and <laughs> me and Billy Stewart actually, we took over a couple of times. Um, I'm not sure who we took over from now. Uh, whether it was Joel. Jolie, um, but um, I actually was on, Billy was playing, I was on the bench, at, we played, uh, I think it was a Lancashire uh, or Liverpool uh, Cup game in uh, Marine, uh, and of course I know Roly Harrod well, and he said, what the bloody hell are you doing there, you know, and all that, joking obviously, but... Um, did you? I mean, I've been in a similar position myself. We played Little and Remaker in the Liverpool Senior Cup a few years ago, and I had the 21s at the time. And obviously, it was it was during the period where the first team didn't really pay any attention to the Liverpool Senior Cup, so we went. So I've yeah. been in a similar position where I've technically been on the bench for a first-team game, even though it wasn't. But I've never had any ambitions to manage or, or coach at a great level. Did, did you? Did you look at it at any point of thinking, actually, I could manage, I want to be a manager? Well, I did. I actually went to Skenazor United as manager. Uh, I was there for a couple of years, um, uh, but no players got paid. I didn't get paid. And the reason why I got enticed there was because of Ken Hilton. Ken Hilton was a secretary there. And uh, when I finished, we were looking for a, a secretary at the club, Southport. And I recommended Ken highly because he was absolutely awesome. So this will, this will have been 90s then? This will have been... Yes. Or mid-90s then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I said to Charlie, I said, this man you can trust. You'll never pay a fine because he's done something wrong. I mean, he's on the ball all the time and he's the best secretary I've ever dealt with, you know. And that's when um, Ken left uh, um, Skem and uh, he came over to Southport. And probably the Charlie reckons one of his best signings. I don't think anyone could argue, really, could they? Yeah. Like you say, he never put a foot wrong. 
Um, let's let's look at some of the other directors that were with you at the time in the early 80s. Then. Who else was around? Who else was on your board? Uh, well, early on with Gary Corsh, who was uh, uh, a lad called um, John Strickland. Uh, he was uh, a window manufacturer who based it out of um, Bolton Way. And then we had an, another, and for the life of me, I can't think of his name, I'm sorry. Um, another lad that was in business in Manchester and he came on board. Uh, both of those were not interested in football, would you believe? Were these uh, just relationships that what, you or Charlie had? Or? Yeah, Gary's really. Ga Gary's, Gary's relationship, uh, yeah. Friend, yeah. yeah. Uh, like Charlie, we, we just tried to entice people with uh, possibly people with business acumen rather than people who might bring football. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. business people, it, football is a business, you know, it's not a hobby, you know. Uh, if, if you treat it like a hobby, you, you know, you, you it's difficult. You, you will lose money, you know, because you do things that, um, that certainly you wouldn't do in, in your business. And I, I accuse Charlie sometimes of that, you know. I said, Charlie. You know, you, if that was your business, you wouldn't have done that, you know, and he agreed. Uh, so we had a soft side of him as well, Charlie, would you believe? You was, it, was it ever a case of um, any of these people were brought in solely for the purpose of injecting money? Or was it, was it, was it business acumen and knowledge of how to generate money? Or, or was it a mixture of the two? How to generate money as well, because, well, John Strickland, etc., they got a lot of bit. You know, I mean, when somebody's in business, they deal with a lot of big business people. And... Um, who 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 owe them favors, I suppose, or whatever. And of course, then that like John, especially John Strickland, he enticed people to come in to put boards on the ground and and pay whatever it was, five hundred quid or something like that to you know to um to put in. Every little bit like that helped out, you know. Um, Sam and Charlie both were the biggest contributors of money. I would say, uh, when, when Sam came on the board. Um, as you know, Sam um, did well when, uh, when uh, the, the company got sold. Um, can't even think of the company now. Apollo Leisure. Uh, Apollo, yeah, of course. I should know. You sure. should know that, Baz, come on. Yeah, I know. Uh, memory's not as good as it was, Dan. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, um, I think basically there, uh, I... I couldn't put any more money in, basically. Um, Did you ever feel pressured into doing that? No, not whatsoever. None whatsoever. They felt that my work ethic on on the ground, uh, you know, uh, especially late eighties, you know, around that, well, say late up to eighty seven, because nineteen eighty seven, I left to come to the states yeah. to work at the. Uh, so were you around uh, when the terracing came down, the old terracing? Yes. Yeah. I was. I was. There, when we made those extra steps on the, uh, you know, we bought all those concrete uh, yeah. uh, steps that were made for seating. And then we actually put all extra wooden <laughs> boards to get the extra uh, people on the steps. Um, I worked very closely with Southport's uh, building control, who were in charge of the project, taking the old stand down, etc. And and obviously doing all the the groundwork, you know, I was there. Then we did all. I helped to do all the fencing round, um, everything like that, you know. So how long did you you went back over to the states? Eighty seven, do you say? How long were you there for? Nearly four years. Right. 
Um, what, what enticed you to come back? Well, um, I worked for the University of uh, South Carolina, Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach. Uh, I was assistant coach there to the main guy. Uh, very successful. Um, very successful university. We actually enticed Graham Rowlands. Remember Graham? Yeah, of course, yeah. I enticed Graham Rowlands to come over and I got pretty much got Guy Norcott from Everton. We got quite a few players over from from the Liverpool area to come over and play, and we we were actually made from a a, a small college into a Division One college, which is quite a big thing over here. Um, you might not understand the the uh, university systems, but it was quite where we play top like South Carolina, Clemson, North Carolina, big clubs, big uh, uh, universities like that. So we were very successful uh, at that time, you know. Now, looking at the company's house records, I might be mistaken, but I don't think you came off the board when you were in America. I, I think I think you remained on the board all the way through, didn't you? I did everything by phone with Charlie. Yeah. So you were still actively involved, even even though you were in the states. This wasn't yeah. a uh, it, yeah. it wasn't a bit of a scam. You being still on the board to maintain quorum no, no, or anything no. like that. I I wasn't voted off, so yeah. <laughs> you know, I was voted back on again. But um, it was uh, yeah, it, it, it seemed like I. Obviously, I wasn't doing a lot to help the club because I wasn't there. But um, when uh, what happened was when I finished at the university um, because of green card, you know, the the work permits finished. I was, they give you two years the, the university with two year option. You can take that two year year option, and then you have to leave the United States. You know. Um, and then I came back and I went into the London area and I took over a team called Homer Green. Um, and I managed them uh, for a couple of years, I think. And then uh, I think Charlie had, I think they were starting the reserves again, Dan. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And then uh, he rang me and said, uh, what are you doing? I told him and he said, do you fancy coming back up north? He said, uh, I can make sure I can give you a job during the day and can you run the reserves? So you, you went to work uh, at Palace? Yeah, I worked at Palace and my wife did as well. Um, and then um, <laughs> what happened was I worked at Palace for a couple of years and then uh, poor old Charlie Powell, uh, you know, before then retired and... Uh, and um, um, I can't remember his name now, who took over the ground facilities. Um, he, he ran the bar as well. Um, he was um, cook. Um, what was his name? Can't remember. Anyway, uh, sorry about that. Uh, anyway, uh, he was doing the pitch and Charlie say, got me up there. So basically I was getting paid by, uh, by Palace Chemicals. And, and if I had to come down to the ground and do anything, that was so be it, you know. There was no big deal, really. So, I mean, so, Palace had a big part to play, really. Absolutely. So, who was the manager when you left and who was the manager when you came back? That might be difficult. Um, I think... Oh, Mick, when Mickey I Taylor, came, perhaps, when you came back? Brian Kettle was there when I came back because it was the first season in the conference. Okay, yeah, yeah. When I left, it might have been Griff... Uh, I'm not sure. And what were your relationship like with with those two? Did they recognise your previous involvement with the reserves, and did they did they look to you as a 
as a as a guide, or, or was it a completely yeah, different no, relationship? That... Yeah, no, they they took me on board. Uh, both Brian Griffiths and Dave uh, Dave Jones. Um, my relationship with them was very good, you know. In actual fact, I I I, I was doing the kit as well then for them, um, getting all that laundered and all that business. And then uh, obviously when I went to the states and came back again as a dirty manager, um, the the fact then of, of uh, I think the the guy resigned that was running the bar. Um, it was Roy, Roy's brother. Do you remember that? I don't remember him. Yeah, uh, Roy's brother was running the bar while Roy was was secretary. Was Roy left? Um, but then then when we come back into the conference, Charlie wanted to try and get the club as professional as possible. Even though we were part time, uh, he considered full time. Um, I think Brian Kettle might have mentioned it that he wanted to go full time when they went in the conference. Was it a serious consideration? Do you think? I think it was at the time, but when you had certain players, one was a bank manager, uh, you know, um, uh, other players had really good jobs to try and match those wages plus was difficult. I know? guess when you see how well they did in the NPL and then how well they did in the first year in the conference, it's difficult to argue that you needed to be full-time really, isn't it? Correct. It was. That was the biggest argument. The fact is uh, Brian probably wouldn't have pushed it that much, even though Brian had no other job, only only uh, work himself at football club. Um, I don't think we never had a training ground. We'd have had to train over on the wreck behind George, George V Plainfields or whatever they are, you know. Um, yeah, and then we basically, I felt we got stronger as a club. Um, Charlie had more involvement on getting stuff done. The stand was erected, the Jack Carr stand was erected. Um, uh, I, 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 while it was being erected, I did all the toilets at that time, I put all, all the toilets in, um, <laughs> with my other cap on, you know. Um, Still reserve team manager at that time. Um, so how had the boardroom changed then in that four-year period? I don't think it changed that much, really, when I think about it. Uh, I'm just trying to think. You, I don't think anybody was on it. I think it was basically me and Charlie. Um, I'm not sure. Ken Hilton obviously sat there. Um and let's be controversial for a minute. Did you have board meetings? Oh, yes, we did. Even though people that's always an accusation that has been leveled, isn't it? So, no, 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 we have board meetings mainly around, um, around either Charlie's house or my house. Um, we had a gathering and decisions were made. And Charlie, believe it or not, I can't believe it, used to ask a football wise, asked a lot of me, uh, on advice on. Uh, players, etc. I mean, I, I tell a story where I went and I can't remember who our manager was then. I went over to um, Sheffield Steelers to watch a, a young kid playing called um, um, what's his name? <laughs> played for England. <laughs> um, oh, what's his name, Dan? That plays for Leicester. Oh, Vardy. Vardy. Yeah. I went to watch a young man called Vardy so it's um, your fault then that we didn't sign him, is it? Well, no, I came back with full of praises. 
and uh, we learned that he'd um, he signed a contract. And through uh, in football, Dan, there's a lot of telephoning going on and underhand type of stuff to find out who's on contract, who's not on contract, and you know all that business. Uh, that, a, a lot of that goes on, or did do. It probably still does. Um, so we learned he was on, on contract, and they wanted I don't know silly money for a you know a young lad really. Uh, I don't think he went straight away, but then obviously Fleetwood came in for him. Yeah, and obviously we've seen what's happened to him since then. So the fact that Charlie relied on you very much for opinions on players, did that put a strain on his relationship with managers or did that put you in an awkward position? Well, uh, it didn't put me in an awkward position. He just asked me, um, oh, the manager's mentioned this player. Do you know anything about him? And I, of course I did a lot of the scouting as well, you know. As well as running the reserves, I go I go and watch teams play as well as players play. Did the managers respect your opinion on players? Were they happy for you to do that? Or was it did they feel that Charlie had pushed that on them or no, I think it was generally open. I mean we talked we talked about players all together, you know. Um, whoever the manager was, um, not so much with Brian Kettle, but uh, certainly coming on a bit, you know. Um with, with other men, Paul Cook, etc. You know, I go looking for Paul, um, and Peter Davenport, uh, managers that came and went quite quickly, unfortunately. Um, and I don't think it was a strain. I just think, to be fair, Charlie, when we picked a manager, we felt he was the right man for the job at the time, including I was on the board when we picked managers. And uh, were you ever involved in the interview panel? Yeah. Yeah, I was on, on on a few of them, including Liam uh, in the beginning. Um, I, but I think I had a game or something. I had to leave. I don't know what happened. But um, Charlie called me later and said, oh, we were... we're uh, and that was... I think Sam was involved as well then. Uh, yeah, he, you know, that's when he said, uh, we've taken on uh, Liam, you know. And we yeah. were impressed with Liam at Runcorn. You know, I... I watched Runcorn a few times when Liam was manager and I was impressed with the players he brought in and uh, quality players. And I thought he could do the same for Southport. And I said that to Charlie and Sam, you know. Um, so obviously, but, Kett was in charge when you came back from the States. I presume you'd had some level of involvement in in, in deciding to recruit him, even though you were over there. When he when he left, uh, from memory, that would be Billy Eyre up next, would it? Billy, yeah. So I presume, again, you you had a hand in in recruiting Billy? I didn't, no, I didn't, believe it or not. I think that was, uh, I don't know what happened there, I'll be honest, Dan. Um, I think it was uh, an automatic, I think uh, Billy used to sometimes come down to the ground and watch games, uh, invited into the boardroom. So Charlie um, and Sam and all that, I think we're quite, quite friendly with um, Billy, you know? And I think it was, I mean, I think our biggest, our biggest knock was uh, Mick Walsh um, because he, we were we were very very friendly with Mick, and I well, up to now I'm still friendly with him. Well, let, uh, let's let's leave Mick Walsh for for a little bit, and we'll get to him as we go chronologically through this. So right. Billy Air was when Billy Air was there. Obviously, we had um, a reserve team still, and we had a youth team as well. And the youth team at the time was reasonably successful and produced players like Ryan Lowe, who was still yeah. you know, managing the football league, Kevin Ellison, who. God knows how he's still playing. I um, know. 
you know, I, I, I personally, I can remember push starting his car on Hague Avenue after training. You know, it's it, yeah. it's hard to yeah. think that he he was involved. But well, Lee Trundle. Trundle, yeah, we, we had some cracking uh, players back in there. I mean, yeah. how 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 much influence did you have on whether or not players would make the grade from well, the youth and reserves? There was, um, I can't remember the guy who we were doing the youth team then. Uh, he went on to work uh, at Peterborough United with uh, Mark Wright, uh, Be- not Beadle or something like that. His name was. Um, I, I feel I feel bit upset though I can't remember his name and I liked him uh, he he brought because this was all uh, to do with uh, youth in Liverpool etc and he was involved with that he was bringing players uh, from Liverpool in uh, um, see a lot of them were Liverpool Sunday players weren't they I mean uh, I, I think the famous yeah. one and, and the one that sticks in my mind is, is Ryan Lowe we played a a youth yeah. cup final at Kirby Sports Centre and Ryan had been playing Sunday football for, I can't even remember who the opposition is, uh, but he'd been playing Sunday football for them. And he was given the choice of who to play for in the final. Did he play for Southport Youth or did he play for his Sunday team? And he chose his Sunday team and scored the winning penalty. Yeah. So I yeah, think the yeah. whole, the whole the setup at the time was, was, was based really strongly around young Liverpool lads, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and of course, uh, Lee Furlong uh, was another one that came through that way, which played for me in the reserves for a heck of a time, you know. And uh, I mean, Lee Trundle, though, I mean, we had him in that same year. In that group, we had him. Though Bursko uh, obviously will brag that they they had him first, but he actually played for a Southport U team first when he was only 16. 15, well, 16. so how did, he, how did he slip through the net then, do you think? Is this, is this a lack of willingness from a manager to play a kid? Because clearly he's got talent. It could well have been, Dan. It could well have been. For the life of me, I can't exactly remember what happened with Lee. Uh, but he, he certainly played for me. Um, and then um, he went um, he went somewhere and played somewhere. And then Bursko got him from there. Uh, and then uh, that's when um, I think they sold him, didn't they? Um, but um, Lee Trundle... Um, was a bit of a fancy damn player, as you know, uh, and a lot of managers are not happy with that. They don't become a they become an individual rather than a team player. And um, I can't remember as a youth team player who was manager at the time. Um, I don't know what year it was now for the life of me, but um, that, yeah, Lee was. I I always remember Lee. Coming back when um, Mark Wright was here. Yeah, I don't think Mark Wright was a fan of him, really, was he? Well, no. No, he wasn't. And he didn't want him to go. And um, Mark Wright actually had uh, his agent up against the brick wall of Hague Avenue uh, because he was demanding this and demanding that outside the ground. And I, I had to pull Mark Wright off him. So... We, uh, when we talk talk about stories, there's hilarious ones, really. But you know, but Mark Wright, um, I like Mark. I I, I worked very well with Mark because when he first was uh, taking on, um, uh, he came and didn't know anything about non-league football, not a thing. And what I did on the first couple of nights, uh, I took him round to Chorley, Horridge. 
all around the local <laughs> non-league clubs, Marine. And the trouble is with Mark, because he was so well known, we'd walk in the ground and he would hardly see the game. Yeah, he gets swamped. People pestering him for. I, I remember picking Mark up from his house on the world, and we were going to watch Hereford uh, on a Tuesday night because Hereford were we were playing Hereford away on the Saturday, and uh, we couldn't we couldn't even sit down in the stand because of people trying to get his autograph. Um, so I had to do all the notes on the game while Mark was up a couple of rows signing autographs. So. It was, um, Mark was, I thought Mark had the right idea and which way to go. He definitely wanted to get us in the league, but... Uh, we he's a just... divisive character, isn't he, Mark? I mean, in terms yeah. of, I mean, he's had two spells with us. First spell, yeah. very successful in terms of uh, how we performed on the pitch. I think Quite at modern. the time, at the time yeah. he, left a, he left a good impression on people and people fondly remembered him. Second time round... Not as well thought of. Let's let's be honest. Um, yeah. But uh, but in terms of uh, an appointment, um, it it was a big one for us to make. I mean, I I was probably in the early days of doing the website at the time, so I, I'm a, I was aware that we didn't have press conferences. Getting news out of the football club was me ringing Derek or trying to pester yeah. Hayden or trying yeah. to get secondhand bits of information. And yet for that appointment, I actually got a phone call saying we're having a press conference to unveil a manager, and it was unheard of. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting in the grandstand bar and Mark Wright walking in and people's mouths just dropping open because it That's just right. was like, what on well, earth is funny. an ex-England captain doing walking yeah. into the bar? Well, it's funny. I, I wasn't involved. Um, I don't know why I wasn't involved, but with the appointment of Mark Wright, basically Sam and uh, Charlie, I think, uh, interviewed him. Um, and um, Charlie came down the passageway, past the dressing room, and said to me, uh, I've got the new manager. He didn't tell me who it was. Got the new manager in the uh, secretary's office. Uh, I want you to meet him. And as I was coming down, Mark was walking towards me. And I thought, I know this guy. And uh, Charlie introduced me and all that. And uh, obviously, he said, I did the reserves and one thing or another. And, um, you know, any scouting and stuff like that. So I got to know Mark early on quickly. And I was impressed with him. I mean, he had big ideas. Unfortunately, big ideas that the club couldn't afford, you know. And um, his relationship with Charlie was getting strained a bit. Uh, the players were getting a little bit upset. There was He wasn't coming on the away coach, Mark. Um, he was driving down to a game. Uh, so the players would only see him when he walked in the dressing room. Um, do you think that was I, deliberate tactic? Did he know that he was going to leave? I, I, yes, I think so. But then I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said so at the time. But I think my, one of the um, things that frustrates me as a fan is watching him run down the contracts of Gaia and Bolland and people like that that he subsequently took with him elsewhere. Yes, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a dirty trick for game, you know, definitely. But I mean, Mike Marsh, uh, I got friendly with Mike. Uh, and I remember we played something like Welling away. And uh, we went down on the team bus. Um, I was I was doing the kit as well at that time uh, with uh, Wes, <laughs> Big Wes and that. And um, uh, Mark wasn't on it. Uh, 
and Mike Marsh came up to me before the game. What the effing hell's going on? I said, why? Where's where's the manager? Where's Marshy? Where's uh, Mark Wright? And um, I said, I don't know. I said, I know he's on his way down, and that's all I know. So the players were getting, Teeley was getting upset with him, um, and other players that were more experienced players. Uh, yeah, they Marshall knew something got, wasn't right. They knew there was something brewing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and we lost that game at Welling, uh, and that didn't help. Uh, again, uh, going back on the team bus, you could know players were murmuring and speaking to each other. You, yeah. They knew something was not right, you know. 